Wow, this is like a giant rat wheel of just a mess. So where do you guys come in to make the order here, I guess, and kind of organize the system so that it helps, you know, at the end of the day, the end user, the guy on the ground, who's just wanting to, you know, take a glass of water from the tap? First, there was chaos and then we brought order, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly how it always works, right? Right. <laughs> well, number one, of course, if they go off grid with their own system, now they have control over their water and sewage rates, mm -hmm. right? So sewage, for starters, they're treating their own water and they have a predictable cost. Number two, they can recycle, which lowers their incoming water rates, and it's better for the drought zones. It's a better all around for recycling, which America does not do. America does not recycle water. And number three, there's this there's basic autonomy from pesky regulatory pressures. As long as they meet permit requirements, they can just go ahead and, and filter it into the groundwater, which is beneficial, and they're on their own. It's fine. And here we are with the water is the blue gold, Thursday, December 7th, 2023, briefing number 239, water is the people's asset. It's a pleasure to have you here tonight. We have an exciting briefing. I'm going to be focusing especially on our acquisitions um, because that's a very exciting development. As we move forward, basically you want to buy versus build. Building water companies is very, very slow. Look at what happened when we started modular water systems in 2018. And um, they didn't become profitable until, until 2021. Um, and now they're finally doubling year over year, but it took, it took a long time. And uh, that's great because it's a fundamental property of ours, but we can also do acquisitions. So we'll get into that. All right, so uh, with that, let me jump back in here and do some of the required stuff, safe harbor statement and the investing disclaimer. All right, now I was interviewed by Laurent Notin, who's a Frenchman who lives in Finland of all places. And he um, has a coaching business and I'm appearing as a guest on his podcast. And he had me take something called the bottleneck index, which will feature in the podcast because he's all about on how to be a boss or an entrepreneur and scale and not get all uh, become the bottleneck. And for me, that, that was a very personal thing because up until just a few years ago, I was a bottleneck and uh, it's only been in recent times that I've started to have some great people who work at least as hard as me and they, they hold up their end of the deal. And we, I believe we now, we're more and more having a scalable enterprise. But let's take a look at this delegation score. Uh, I'll pull it up here now. And we can take a look at what my results was because I took the test, right? So my bottleneck score was low, 33%. So um, I wasn't perfect by far. So what did we have here? Well, delegating was still pretty low, 39%. Um, you're at risk of becoming the bottleneck in your business, too many things. So uh, recommendations, um, basically get to know your people, foster a culture of trust and autonomy, review and update your systems and processes, use, use coaching techniques. And this is something I've been working on very hard uh, in the last year or so, especially. Strategic thinking, that's 42%. I guess the higher it is, the worse is, is what I guess this means. So not setting aside a dedicated time to reflect on your business strategy. And this often happens when you find yourself in reactive mode, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so 
Your customers are the ones who support your company financially, and of course, our investors. A more consistency uh, for strategic thinking, uh, allocating time for that, and communicate, communicate, communicate. So that is a good thing. Um, now uh, it seems that I'm good at letting go, detaching myself more from day-to-day -day operations, focusing on strategic thinking, uh, training, and developing team members, and regular self-assessments, which is good. That's really good. Um, seek out peers, mentors, coaches, et cetera, which I've been doing. And the bottleneck's impact remains relatively low. So all in all, um, let's see, urgency. No need to worry now, but you should remain cautious. So it looks like it's not an urgent problem. So I thought that was fascinating because one of the realizations I had in the past year was that I was trying to run too much myself. You want to always foster a band a band of equals, right? And the, the analogy is when um, you do your son's science project for him, the science project looks great, but it didn't do anything for your son. Um, and that's that's what I realized was that I was doing a lot of people's science projects for them. More work for me, but more importantly, it doesn't scale a business and uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh, create a sense of uh, satisfaction in in the team. So that was really, really interesting. And I'll be having a podcast with him, which is very, very interesting. Okay. In fact, just looking at this right here, um, this is the po the podcast. This is Unlock the Potential. Uh, kind of went out of sequence there, but you get the story. Now, uh, you probably noticed that precious metals and crypto are taking off. That is what we've been predicting for some time now, which is that commodity finance systems are replacing currency finance systems. And if you don't realize that, you will pain. This was December the 3rd when gold took off. And um, my good friend, John reported on how Bitcoin was just took off. And we commented, sure enough, that again, the commodity-based finance system and talking about how investable water assets fit in that. This happened today, which is Ethereum just blew up. Um, that is very interesting. This is Ethereum Bitcoin pair. So this is Ethereum versus Bitcoin. I believe it's even more if you compare it to a do the dollar. But this is kind of funny because <laughs> Ethereum holder opens his blinds for the first time in weeks and then he showers the first time this month. It's kind of cute. But it's true. There's been a lot of um, criticism of crypto and um, we pulled away from it for a while. Uh, many of you know that we have a crypto project, but it's in background uh, and it's not part of the merger. It'll be a separate project that we uh, would take on at some time in the future as the incubator that Origin Clear is becoming. This is very, very interesting. And it is a correlation versus the S&P 500 of various assets. And sure enough, you see gold and Bitcoin very much less correlation to the S&P 500, which I think is a good thing as we move into, I think, recessionary times. So the S&P 500 is not going to be great. It's a very interesting chart. You've got REITs, for example, sitting very close to the S&P 500. Um, again, as you get the storms of economic upheaval happening, the stuff that is lower on this chart is going to be higher risk because it follows the, the bulls, right? And the higher it goes, the more bearish it is. Now, the US dollar is um, has negative returns. We know that. Um, because it's inflationary and that is what it is. The 30 day T bill is what it is as well. Uh, high frequencies, uh, I actually don't know what BCOM is, but um, gold right there. So, and then long term government, and then Bitcoin, like I say, 
kind of an interesting. For a long time, I thought of Bitcoin as a hedge against stocks, but then for a long time, it was moving with stocks. That's happening less and less, which is, I think, a good thing. All right. Now, back in 2010, Bitcoin would never have been on this list. And wouldn't it be great to rewind to 2010? And we think that what is an asset is, is not on the chart. Why? Because it's at that stage. And this is an interesting um, piece of news that came out yesterday. Actually, today, there is the uh, Satoshi the Satoshi era, which was um, 2009 to 2012, I think it was. And these, these were very early tokens. They were mined at a total cost of $100. They are now worth $40 million. So somebody um, decided to cash out. They're going to do that. And that's going to happen. There's a large blocks of Satoshi era. Satoshi is the mythical inventor of, of Bitcoin. Some people say it was <laughs> the NSA. Who knows who did it? Uh, we have no idea who did it. But nonetheless, the Satoshi era was the early time when Satoshi was very vocal and posting a lot. And um, that's when it was super cheap. And the smart people, and I was not one of them, bought that stuff, you know, for five, 10, 20, $50 and uh, bought pizzas with them and so forth. That is the era that I think that we could be in now. Okay. Rents, national rents are down. Um, again, US rents fell 0.91% in November 2023, one month. So um, we had, it's an interesting chart because, um, there is seasonality, as you can see, the latter part of 2018, 2019, et cetera, kind of have the later, later part of the year um, from uh, September onward is um, the rents go down. A lot of things happened in 2021, including that people got poorer and therefore had to rent. But anyway, as you can tell, this could be an interesting market because less and less rentals happening. Ken just observed that in these mature markets, there are factors beyond control, rate hikes, et cetera, building materials. Water is stable. Ken is saying it's immune to that. But more importantly is the early entry, right? Um, we are very early in water. And so that, um, you know, imagine if you had set up a rental in um, 2010, right? And where, where would you be today, 13 years later? Um, probably just as, maybe not, maybe not as high of a, of a rise as Bitcoin, but certainly a lot of multiples. All right, we're going to talk acquisitions now, and we're setting up a new program. I'm going to flip to the company presentation that is on our website. If you go to Origin Clear under investing, and there's a presentation, just uh, drop down to presentations, and you'll find this deck. And I'm going straight to the strategic acquisitions uh, section, which um, Again, buy versus build. We've already announced the an agreement or principle to acquire a cloud software company. Why? Well, they have a profitable business, but it's not a it's not a huge. But more importantly, it is a team that we want that is going to build our digital network. Because what we're doing essentially for each of these customers in this decentralized world where um, it's water on demand, where we are the meter. Well, we're basically being the utility for that business. So it's a as opposed to one big central utility with its software, uh, you end up with hundreds and thousands of individual sites, each with its own you know, utility where we're being the private utility for it. So that is already rolling and we're moving to the next stage on that. Now, the second thing is we want to buy up, um, we have a list, short list of what we call fabricators. 
These are companies that are primarily servicing modular water systems. Modular water does not have a manufacturing center the way progressive water does in Dallas. It is virtual. They're, uh, they're based up in Virginia and they all the manufacturing is done at the places where these big heavy plastic molds are created. We want to acquire those to control our supply chain because right now we're kind of at the mercy of their construct uh, manufacturing schedule. And they, they, well, we're backed up until January. Well, you know, we're not doing anything till January. And thirdly, you know, water on demand does not have, you know, most of its uh, corporate staffing is actually virtual because it's being provided by Origin Clear. We want to move away from that. Um, also, we want to have more engineers. Well, the best way to do that is to acquire engineering firms and water service companies and get revenues, of course, but also staff, executives, engineers, production managers, project managers, et cetera. Okay, um, so what does this look like? We've made some assumptions as to essentially um, the, the, the net profits of the targets and um, the multiple, in other words, if somebody is doing a million dollars in operating profits, then the price would be a million five. Strangely enough, that seems low, but it's actually pretty standard for water. The acquisition expense, we've learned that there's a lot of expense, legal, audit, the bankers, all that stuff. We just kind of allocate half a million dollars per acquisition for that. Um, we plan to come up with a quarter of it in cash, three quarters of it in stock. And the plan is for this is this is for water on demand, right? This is the water on demand. Um, Origin Clear is currently, as it says in the bottom here, we're the clean water innovation hub. We're not going to be acquiring so much as water demand is going to be acquiring. That's our plan anyway. And then we forecast the growth of these units, 15% per year, plus an additional 5% from being synergy. Like I'm buying my filters from another company that's inside the network. Well, that's a gain for everybody. All right. So what does that look like? Well, we've divided up in phases. Now, first phase is extraordinarily aggressive. Why? Because we're starting now. So the actual acquisitions will start Q3 of next year, which gives us almost a year to get all of the um, letters of intent and so forth, which we're doing already. And so we're using this period now that we have this um, business combination agreement with Fortune Rising, the blank check company, we are now using that time to get ahead of the ball. And so basically over a period of three quarters, we want to make acquisitions that um, will cost us about, mm, well, about $19 million, $20 million cash and equity combined. The good news is, is this will contribute net contributions of quite a lot of money, as you can tell, the net cash it will throw off, we estimate, is around $50 million. I'll show you the graph in a second. Now, phase two is grayed out, and the reason is it's, we're not making it a solid forecast this time, but we would start in Q4 2025 and end in Q4 2026. So it's a little bit further off, and it's not quite as hectic. And there, the revenue contribution is in the somewhat less. You know, you, as you can tell, there's less net cash generated. And it's also a spending less, about a $12 million total. Okay, so let's see how this looks in terms of the graph. Well, the peach solid area is revenue without acquisitions. And by the way, our 2023 numbers are lining up beautifully. 
we are dead on target. It's actually ahead of target. I'm super happy. And that's just an informal statement I'm making. Don't, don't, don't take that to the bank, but we're very happy with how things are going. Um, and then you see, so that eventually gets to about 32 million, but with acquisitions, it's almost 10 times as much. And sure enough, the revenue contribution from the acquisitions, which is the green, starts to dominate everything, which is very exciting. And the uh, here we have combination. This is the profit from all, all concern. And as you can see, there is minimal profitability, about a, a quarter of a million dollars in this current year, rising to uh, about $2 million next year, but then the acquisitions add another 675. So consolidated, we'll get to about almost 3 million and it makes a huge difference in the profits. Now, this one here is highly speculative. This is adding phase two. And this is, we get to a really exciting number, uh, which is um, more than half a billion dollars in revenues by 2027. Again, that assumes that everything happens wonderfully um, that we stay on track. So obviously there is all kinds of um, things that that we kind of have to disclaim. That is that um, not everything's going to happen on schedule, but this is a very high number. And remember that any water company that exceeds $100 million starts to become very attractive to private equity firms. Now it's not our plan to sell to a private equity firm. Not, we're not interested in that, but it means you're kind of on the map. And if we can execute properly, we'll be there by 2025 um, with acquisitions. So that is a very, very good look. You know what? I'll show you the actual acquisitions. Why not? This, this, um, I think it's, this is fascinating. So looking at phase one, you can see here is the estimated revenues of these companies, some of which we are identified, some of which are still being shortlisted. So the total revenue that we estimate for these players is currently 72 million. You can see the net profits there and all the factors that I was talking about, the uh, acquisition multiple, acquisition expense, et cetera, et cetera. And here you can see the cash expense in the green part of what is spent there. And then of course, it gives us all the numbers at the back end that I put in the charts. Now, if we look at phase two, these are bigger companies. Uh, notice how this one here was 72 million total revenue, but uh, five companies, whereas this one is 69 million, just three companies. So, because by then we believe we'll, we'll have the ability to go after larger companies. And there you can see it's a more, these are larger acquisitions, therefore we space them out more. So that's kind of takes, gives you um, an insider look at this stuff. Obviously we're not disclosing the names of the targets, that's confidential, but we, we do plan to let you know as more letters of intent get signed. So stay tuned. There's rules about what we can say now that, that we're you know planning to get um, registered with the SEC, which I'll talk about in a second, but um, legal is being very helpful in that respect. Here we have, I posted this today. This is a picture of Bill Charneski back when we acquired Progressive Water Treatment. He's on the right, white hair, and he is working for us again. And far left is you'll see my brother, Stephen, the, the man with too many cameras, as I call him, um, and so this was December 7, 2015, when we first went to say hi to our new subsidiary, and he's back. 
and we just reviewed the acquisitions plans. Now, here's something cool, which is a very brief excerpt from, I don't know if you guys have heard of the All In podcast, but basically it's the Silicon Valley billionaires who get together. One of them was a co-founder of uh, Facebook and this and that, and the other thing. Another one was was very instrumental in helping Elon Musk uh, succeed with Tesla, et cetera. Jason Calacanis, whom I know personally from back in the day, well, he's made a bit more money than I have. Let's put it that way. Well, let's take a look then at this brief quote from what Tucker was saying. So just to set the stage here, um, he is talking about how there is a need to get back to basics in this country and where things have gotten a little bit outlandish in terms of um, politics, become very... Uh, he says, in a sense, you know, taken hostage by special interests. So here's what he says, and some of it relates exactly to us. So here we go. My friend was saying, because he's really smart, he's like, yeah, but the good news is this can't last because it's just too stupid. And at some point very soon, the country is going to revert to the place that all countries begin, which is in a conversation about things that matter, like who comprises the population? Do we have enough water? Where are we on energy exactly? How are we going to manage these complex relationships with other countries? Like the things that, you know, the stuff of government, the stuff of resources, of, of col- yeah. well, of course, of course, resources, but like just the basic questions that should dominate the consciousness of any of any country and should dominate our public conversation. So um, I'm not going to continue it. You go uh, on YouTube to the All In podcast. There's a Tucker Carlson. It's a fascinating interview because they are smart. And by the way, they're all over the spectrum. Some of them are on the left, some of them on the right. And so it. It's a very cool debate, but you notice how he's talking about a return to basics in what about our water, right? And this is part of the same story where the economy is returning to basics, commodity-based finance as opposed to currency-based. Currency-based finance is fundamentally distorted because it can be manipulated, right? Uh, As it has been. And so commodity-based finance is harder to manipulate. And he's talking about that kind of return to basics. So that was, I thought, very interesting and entertaining if you ever want to tune in on it. This is um, the all-in pod, as they say. Okay, Escaping the Drift is a podcast that I was on. Uh, it's a top 20 podcast by, with John Gafford, top 20 in the entrepreneur category. Now, it has not been published, but we got some early tape from it, which we've which uh, we've excerpted into some very some small short clips. After each clip, I'm going to invite our free willing guys to jump in and make some short comments because it's kind of fun what we're doing these days with that. So here here we go with the first one. Well, you're essentially uh, we, doing exactly what the solar business by taking people off the grid and privatizing their own production of electricity. You're just doing it with wastewater. We believe in unburdening the wastewater system, meaning that if 90% of the load is in the industry and agriculture, then get industry and agriculture off the grid, and then it, and then the people can be serviced. You see, we believe that the water grid should primarily service ordinary people. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Right now, there's a lot of people are defaulting on their water bills. Those water bills are too high because of industry and agriculture being on it. Now, it's not industry and agriculture's fault, it's what they've been given, but when we give them an alternative, they love it. Why? We say, hey, listen, we can give you your own water treatment system. What are the benefits? Number one, you'll be on a contract that guarantees 
the water treatment will be a certain cost and it won't explode like it has been with the with the municipality. Number two, you'll be able to recycle, which will give you at least 50% more water for your money, uh, sometimes more, but that's a conservative estimate. And number three, you won't have all that pesky regulation, you know, because when you're depending on the city, then they can say, well, we won't take your water today or whatever it is, right? Sure. All of a sudden, you're able to just manage your own stuff. And as long as you're staying within permit requirements, you're free to go. So they like that. Now, the fourth thing we've done, and this is our program called Water on Demand, is made it possible for these companies to get it without capital up front. It's water as a service, and then just continue to pay on the meter as if they were you know, tied up to the city, but now they're tied up to us and we're managing them. And all they gotta do is just sign a contract and they get their water treated, but it's on a self-reliant independent basis, fully managed and people love it. I mean, so they're, they're, they're all for it. Well, you're essentially uh, we, doing exactly what the solar business by taking people off the grid and privatizing their own production of electricity. You're just doing it with wastewater. Yeah. So what's interesting is that unlike the energy companies, water districts are not resisting it. They're like delighted, like great. Like, oh, you want to take your local Amazon warehouse off the grid? Great. Because they're in a situation where they're really dealing with water scarcity, overstressed infrastructure. I just saw a headline about some utility was unable to clean out some dioxane and that got into the water supply. Well, why did the dioxane get into the system? Why not just make that polluter do it offline and treat it properly? And that solves it for everybody. We can really get these uh, businesses off the grid. We're doing a private utility gig. And the good news is that the water industry is appreciative of that. They're happy to let us do that. The whole idea of decentralization is really taking off. First of all, in built up places like many metros in the US, where are you gonna put the large plants? Self-contained water treatment is where it's at. And now I'm going to invite my two colleagues to jump on. So fascinating here where we're getting into the the reasons why it's so great for people to go off the grid and they love it and the municipalities love it. This is a golden moment. Yeah, I mean, you don't I don't think enough people really understood how vulnerable we were until you started getting into the COVID years and you're forced inside and then you start wondering like where's my where's my supply chain at? Right. Mm -hmm. Where's my food? Where's my water? Where's my toilet paper? And it's funny how you don't think about these things until they actually stare you straight in the face. Right. And so you got to you have to acknowledge water is one of the most crucial pieces of the supply chain that needs to be taken care of. And this handles that wonderfully. And some people forget, but Riggs and I will remind them from time to time, water on demand was born from that oh crap moment we had in COVID. Look, um, the the dollar is being bad. Like you just said, the uh, rigs currency being manip- manipulated. We had a moment where we were going to start to explode. And we said, oh, my God, nobody's going to have money. Little did we know that the government was going to float six trillion dollars, um, mostly to businesses. And many of them needed it. Many of them didn't. Um, and, and many of them were outright fraudulent. But that's a whole other story. I, I wasn't going to go there. I said many of them didn't <laughs> need it. Uh, I was I was trying to stay clear of that foul line. But OK, Um Here's my point. We had that oh crap moment, except it wasn't crap. Um, and we were like, what are we going to do? So th- this was a water on demand was born out of a what was perceived as a dire situation to pivot and change everything in order to survive what we thought was perhaps not survivable. OK, in, in retrospect, the, the 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 market was flooded with dollars. But in the same time, 
commoditizing, going to a commodity-based monetary system, commoditizing water. First of all, you're democratizing water, you're decentralizing water, and then you're commoditizing water. Again, um, what's the what's the, uh, the gentleman on the Drift podcast? He said, just like energy. Yes, energy pivots or, or indexes very well against inflation, right? Because as dollars get weaker, your, your bill goes higher, it buys the same amount. So does it with water in almost with as much alacrity as does energy or perhaps just as much. So well, and 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 the the John Gafford making the point that hey, just the same way that people go off the grid for energy and now they control their costs of solar, right? It's mm-hmm. a similar thing. People going off the grid with water now control their costs. Very yeah. interesting. Good. Let's listen to the next one. And starting in 1960, the graph for operation and maintenance just rises continuously, continuously all the way into the present. In other words, that's like never quite fixing your Toyota Celica, kind of like put water into the radiator every 20 miles kind of thing. Tell us, let's talk a little bit about the history of water as far as, you know, and, and people, when we talk about water, what we're talking about is when you turn that tap on and you can fill a glass up and drink it, or you can take a shower. Talk to us about a little about the history of water, where, you know, where we started, where we got to here. Right. Well, as you know, late 19th century and the first part of the 20th century, right up to 1950, saw a tremendous amount of public works, right? We saw the Hoover Dam being built yep. back east, this massive Delaware reservoir system that New York benefited, that New York for the longest time had, you know, New York bagels were the best bagels because of the water, right? So um, these were big projects and um, they were very lavish. And in fact, the Hoover Dam, literally they would lose people all the time. Like people would fall into the concrete coffer dams and then disappear. It was a time when you could get a lot of that stuff done very easily, but um, post-war things changed. And especially we saw less and less allocation for infrastructure. And starting in 1960, the graph for operation and maintenance just rises continuously, continuously all the way into the present. In other words, that's like never quite fixing your Toyota Celica, kind of like put water into the radiator every 20 miles kind of thing. Um, So costs for just keeping things going have continued to rise, but there's been way, way underfunding on critical infrastructure. And as you know, um, industry has only grown, population has only grown. And now we're looking at things like reshoring where you know deglobalization is going to bring manufacturing back all kinds of pressures and not to mention the most important one these days is migration from city centers to exurbia to rural areas that may not be able to cover the load i'm assuming that based uh, that's what causes things like the flint michigan problem with the lead pipes and those sorts of things i mean the outlawed lead paint uh, in the 60s now we're still drinking water that's flowing through it is that part of this problem Hundred percent. Well, here's the issue that um, it was actually a, a mistake, it was a stupid mistake made where uh, somebody tried to save five hundred dollars on anti-corrosion chemicals, and that that's it. The lead just went into everything. The water heaters it, it's ruined the entire downstream uh, distribution into the homes, which is so, wait, wait, wait. okay. So I was I mean, look. I, I just you know you glance at things, and if they don't, you know, it's like anybody else. It's if it doesn't affect you directly, you tend to glance. You don't necessarily dig too much. And I always thought it was a problem with the infrastructure of the pipes. That was just an additive that went accidentally through a water treatment facility and, and caused that? No, to be clear, the, they were lead pipes, but okay. there's technology okay. to keep the lead from leaching into Got the it. water. Got it. And that chemical literally costs like $500 a day, nothing much. Um, but because Flint was in uh, receivership, they were in bankruptcy, 
they were cutting costs all along. So here we have the um, really interesting story about how total underfunding of water infrastructure. And I do not to this day understand why. It's like, why are we running $100 billion behind every year on our most fundamental asset? And it's not going to be fixed. It's not going to be fixed. How absurd if you had a friend. And we've all had that friend maybe in high school or college, the guy who literally could drive a couple of miles and then would have to stop and put water or oil in his car. No, I, we, we all, like the 20-year-old, what you say, said Celica, I was going to say, your 20-year-old Toyota Corolla, right? right. Um, for me, it was a 69 Nova with a straight six, okay? But how absurd <laughs> would you uh, assume your friend to do, just buy a new car, right? But when the guy had to put $2 in the tank, right? I'll take $2 regular, please. You know, that's America. Okay. I'm sorry, but that's where we are. And it's not where we are in terms of what we actually have access to. It's what, um, it's a, what it, it's where the will is. There, there's no will to, uh, to fix the problem because I, here's the thing. And, and this is getting a little cynical and I don't want to get political, but I don't think that American politicians actually win elections by solving problems. They win by, promising to solve problems. So you can't run on, look what I did. Look what I fixed. Because people are like, yeah, but what did you do today? Right? Well, and it's terribly cynical, but- Water infrastructure takes decades. Right. People are You'll never get credit for it. Right. Well, yeah, they're, they're not in office long enough. Right. Exactly. So, and so we end up having to do the next best thing, which is, okay, we're just going to go ahead and decentralize it and and make, you know, a thousand points of light in the NGW Bush's- um, George H.W. Bush's long ago cynical term, but it works. My lips. Well, I mean, to to be to be super cynical, I think that it's just that we're such a we're such a well-off country, and we have so many things going right for us, and we're so used to having amenities and water that we just don't even think about them being wrong, yeah. right? What do you mean there's something wrong with my water? I get it from the top every day, and I'm healthy. That you just don't think about it, and and in, and it's it, it's going to be you know the canary in the coal mine that no one's hearing it's screaming in your ear, but no one's listening because no, it's fine. Everything's fine. The, the mine shaft is still hanging in there. We're good. So we, we have to, I don't want to say we collectively, it's just, this is one of those things that unfortunately is going to come about of, of a necessity. Once things start failing, you know, if we can't get enough ahead of it, you know, those it's going to be us- great for us to come in and swoop in and save the day, but I really wish it didn't have to come to that, but that's what happens when there's too much centralization and not enough attention. Centralization is defined by vulnerability, okay? Um, mm-hmm. Those of us old enough, born in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, don't remember TV commercials addressing all kinds of chronic um, autoimmune and, 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 and inflammatory conditions that are commonplace today. Now, is it what we're eating? Is it what is it, is it the, we don't know, but we do know that the environment has suffered and human health has suffered. So if you fix the problem upstream, if you if you actually are co- really correcting the water, instead of trying to figure out how to remove 50,000 chemicals down at the bottom, okay? If you're removing the specific 10 or 12, you know, you have your EW, EW you know, your, your water report, right? And there's 12, but there's 12 components that need to be removed. If you remove that at the point of discharge, the end product is better. And that is one of the most 
understated benefits to what we do. It's going to save guys tons of money. It's going to save their business. It helps them control the cost. But it's bending the curve on the human health crisis that's been created specifically here in the U.S., but certainly not. We're not um, alone in that. Okay, it has the ability to bend that in a way not seen in 100 years since the advent of sanitation. Amen. All right. Let's do the third clip. It's been like this explosion, New York, boom, Chicago, boom, you know. And so you have this like a problem of people moving to places where it's not easy to control. I've spent a lot of time talking to the water district here, the, the folks that run things here and how things work. And luckily for us, Las Vegas is one of the most water conscious cities on earth. 95% of everything that comes out of the faucet goes back and goes, gets recirculated. The only, Little. and the only thing we lose here is irrigation um, through landscaping. It says that's, that's the, that's the loss of what we're losing. And they've really tightened the belt um, through that in Vegas with the size of pools that can be built on new things. They've made you, if you have grass, they cut it back. There's, we've lost any public green space that is not actively used as surface area for a park is going. I mean, they've been ripping it up all over town forever. They've also been utilizing new technologies. F1 is coming here in the end of November. And that is just a massive event. And they said every day they'll need 40,000 gallons to wash the track down. And what they're utilizing to generate that water, there'll be no drag on our water table for that because they're using technology they got from Dubai to integrate with the steam overflows from some of the larger casinos to capture that steam, turn it into water and put it in the tankers to use that to wash the track. So innovation like that you know, those things, things like vertical farming, things like, uh, you know, are, what are some of the things that you're on the forefront of for making well, a difference? First of all, it's, a, it's wonderful that Las Vegas is doing that. They're on a par with Israel, which is also a big leader in recycling, roughly 90%. If you look at the graphs, uh, Singapore is another leader, Malta. But these are controllable, like, you know, Las Vegas, these are all controllable microcosms that, that can be managed. Um, what we have... If you look at the map of, of out-migration from the cities, it's been like this explosion, New York, boom, Chicago, boom, yeah. you know. And so you have this like a problem of people moving to places where it's not easy to control, right? Yeah. Or, for example, we moved from Los Angeles to Pinellas County here in Tampa Bay. Yeah, sure. In, uh, I'm a Tampa guy. There you go. Originally a Tampa guy. There you go. Right behind me is uh, Clearwater, Florida, and uh, we have the Blue Jays just up the street in Dunedin. Sure. On their, on their, uh, on their uh, you know, spring training. But what we're seeing in Pinellas is tr- it's it's built. Yeah. Where are you going to put more sewage? Where are you going to put more facilities? It's not going to happen. And is the uh, not you know not in my backyard issue. So it's really really hard to to do build outs. And what we're also seeing, for example, North Texas between Dallas and the Oklahoma border is in a phenomenal uh, land boom where uh, housing developments are outstripping the, the sewage infrastructure. And that's where we come in. We're literally helping them with their self-reliant needs. And that is really the topic of, yes, there's spots like Vegas that are being managed right. But in the main, it's not being managed right. It's not going to happen. Everything's too uh, not in my backyard. So, the, I mean, the only possible thing you can do is because we're not going to get an Israel type or Vegas type 
or Malta type control, right? This type control not going to happen. And it and and where we're booming, like in like but North Texas, where we're deeply involved with some of the real estate over there, um, as modular water systems, it's out of control. So we we have to help them by giving them their own resources. It's kind of like we're almost preppers in a way, right? Because we're helping people survive without sewage. And all they have to do is have a small water pipe from the from the municipality for the fresh water, and the rest of it they're on their own. Or even a well, or even a well, like eat, they could. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're really out there, look. So he he described, you know, you, you described Malta, you described Vegas, you described Israel, all geographically very very small places. It is controllable. Now the vastness of the United States yeah, yeah. Uh, makes that absolutely impossible. So the realize that the, you know when 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 the when the prevailing logic was that you had to build something and run it down to a central location. Of course, the idea of recycling water is absolutely impossible on a grand scale. That's why you essentially do to water what, you know, what cell phones did to telecom. Everything is its own little, its own little, its own little hub, right? Its own little um, utility. And that's really the only practically way, the practical way to do it. And of course, it has all those other effects, avoiding uh, vulnerability, um, you know, uh, the recycling, reuse of water, controlling costs, right? Th- those are, they seem like elegant forethoughts. They were really just really um, serendipitous after effects of a really good concept. We're going to wrap up shortly, but there's a factor that's going to start entering, and this was, and I'm going to be focusing on this perhaps next week or something like that, is ESG. Now, ESG is a highly artificial measure, and it's all political and so forth, environmental, social governance. But every business that starts to do its own water recycling gets ESG credits and, get, and is, can, can get funding. And I have a friend who's currently getting a billion dollars for his, he's got a cloud um, network provider from an ESG fund because it's so good. It has such a high ESG grade. So if yeah. you can, if you can get that grade, uh, I mean, AJ, you came out of corporate America and you know that it's, it's not a small thing. ESG is a big deal. In it the is company, a very company. big deal. I mean, uh, Nielsen, et cetera, the, the, everybody's paying attention to it and rightly so. So we're going to cover that because our technology enables recycling for individual businesses. Think about the demand. You want to talk about driving demand? Mm-hmm. You would provide businesses by providing cost savings, you know, uh, all of the benefits. I, look, I, I, I'm not going to go over the benefits again. But by the way, you will now qualify for a type of financing you never, never had access to because you have a high ESG rating. All of a sudden, the small to mid-sized business has access to really cheap, favorable financing. You can be the only choice at that point. You make yourself the, you know, kind of the center of the universe. Exactly. And with that, we move into the freewheeling discussion. And um, so, uh, you know, to our audience, what we're refining here is uh, rather than playing a giant long podcast excerpt, you know, 20 minutes or more, maybe twice that, instead we're taking short clips and we're endeavoring to make short and pithy. Always pithy. pithy. Oh, it's pithy. Oh, you're uh, calling pithy. All right. Never exactly. Um, but, you know, uh, comments. Uh, but now I think we can move into a, um, as we wrap it up, we have a few more minutes, about six minutes to go. More and verbose. Well, you know, here's what's interesting. <clears throat> First of all, I want to cover something very, very important that I've been asked to cover. 
where the heck is the quarterly filing? Hello. And that has been a matter of deep concern for us because um, quarterly filing was late. There were a number of fact, idiotic factors, like literally one of the valuation expert that we had had a death in the family, stupid things like that. But what it really came down to was we needed much, much better controls. And we've had some, um, we've actually brought in much better, um, more staff, shall we say, in financing, in the finance area. And there is, um, we're working very closely to put in the controls. Now, when is the, it coming? Well, I, I can tell you this, I cannot tell you exactly, but it is imminent. So that'll be behind us. It's very, very important. Why? Because as you know, back in October 24th, we had a business combination agreement that was signed that was next step is the SEC registration. Well, the SEC registration can't happen until the, uh, we have our up-to-date up um, financials. So um, this is, we're basically all teed up for the, what's called an S4 registration, which is the merger registration. And um, at the same time, the NASDAQ application, you heard last week that we now have a ticker symbol reserved, W-O-D-I. And um, we're, we're going to be called Wody till the end of time. It's just how it is, right? I've been called worse. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And um, so what, I, what I'm basically saying is it was part on the critical path. And um, I've already put in place the steps to make sure that our annual report, which is you know due just after the first qu uh, quarter is over, is not delayed itself, right? So with that, I wanted to also cover the fact that Ken has some amazing uh, updates for our longtime investors, and you should definitely get in touch with him. We've been talking to really the um, the core supporters and giving them the updates. Um, really, he'll update anybody who is a qualified investor who will go under a non-disclosure agreement, but we love our core investors to a fault. I'm just going to piggyback right on that since we're we're kind of making this the uh, the the full tilt uh, you know comment here. So we redid the end of Zoom or the end of uh, webinar survey. So at the end of the show today, there's going to be a new survey, um, and it will give you the opportunity to to request uh, information from us. You can go ahead. And it's it it is shorter. It is more to the point. It's easier to fill out. Pithy. It gives us better information. It's pithy, and. And it will it will automatically integrate with our systems, so that all you got to do is submit that off, and we'll get right in touch with you. So, please, please, please do that. It'll it, it's a, a massive help. And yes, you definitely want to talk and hear about the all the things we got going on. Well, he's the guy who sits next door to me, so he knows. I do Amen. know through the thin wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, Ron Williams says, "How do we get the right people to make water a priority?" Well, we don't. Because how many times have I been told, you got to go lobby in Sacramento or whatever? Right, it was. right. No. First yeah. of all, we don't have the billions. Secondly, um, it takes too long. Just We just go around. like Go to the decision makers, the people well, who, who want to do this because it makes sense. But the individual, in other words, these are not government, right? Right. There, there's, there's a cool inverse pyramid, which is um, at the very tippy bottom of it is the people who must have their own water treatment immediately like their highway rest stops or their uh, trailer parks, et cetera. And they're coming up with the money by hook or by crook. That's who is doubling and redoubling our stats every year right now. But the next level up, which is a much bigger audience, is the people who don't have the capital. 
And right. that is going to be the golden age, I believe, that we're aiming towards. So our basic business of providing water systems to individual businesses is booming because of this. But now the water on demand game, which we will start really driving latter part of next year because we really want to get our basic business in place, is, I believe, when, well, it'd be like Bitcoin when it got well past the age of Satoshi, let's put it that way. Well, Ron, the, the thing you can look at, sorry, Ken, the, Ron, okay. the thing you can look at is the story about Vegas, right? Like, think about think about how much necessity you have to have to try and recapture steam so that you can come up with water to clean a track, right? Like, like we, we talk about Vegas, yeah, it's a small microcosm, but it's also a desert. There is no water there. They have to come up with every way they can to conserve and reuse. Right. And so again, like we mentioned in other segments, necessity is the mother of invention, right? These places absolutely need this. And as Riggs pointed out, the people that are of the most dire need are the ones that are going to be pushing this forward. And I think that as infrastructure continues to, to get aged and, and need more repairs and those things, it's going to necessitate that we be there. And I think the nice thing is, is that we're coming in at such a time that by the time we ramp up and we start to be able to more readily you know, deliver these systems to people in that next bracket of category that don't have the capital, we'll be there. And, right? we're, and, and we'll be, be the brand. Time for it. But we'll be the brand by then. Okay. So, right. um, you know, it's kind of like um, uh, you become the brand associated with the thing. The thing isn't the brand, but you call it the brand. Q-tip, for instance, right? We're going to do water on demand. Exactly. Right. We're, I'm going to Uber. I'm going to take an Uber. Exactly. I'm not going to take a taxi. I'm not going to take a Lyft. I'm going to take an Uber. So so by then, we'll be so well positioned. We'll be the brand associated with it. Now, I often, and I spoke, so I spoke with a um, a real estate developer today, a Long Island kid, just like me, right? He's from Oceanside. I was from Long Beach. We were like, hey, oh, yeah. So, but what we did have a conversation about is, he got he became completely enthralled with the property development aspect. I talk about the 50 acres. And I said, look, you, you've been in finance forever. Here's the bottom line. Um, if you did, he goes, I did mortgages. I said, if you could go back as a mortgage guy, if I called you up and said, listen, now if the bank called you and said, now you can close everybody with a 500 credit score, how many loans would you get? He'd go, he said, all of them. I said, exactly. Right. For every one of the and these customers, these can carry us into the hundreds of millions of dollars, the folks that have the money. But for every one of them, there's 10 that don't. And that literally changes that that changes the market that we're in. We transfer this action, this this innovation, which was born originally from what was a perceived threat, which is what most innovation, most change comes from threat or survival. Right. But now it literally can transform the industry in which we operate. Yes, and uh, I'm 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 posting some um, some commentary here because I just want that this way we can do it efficiently in the last waning seconds of the show. But um, first of all, thank you for the Mer the Merry Christmas from the Rutens. Um, yes. Thank you, Ron, for because this is back when uh, we were talking about the bottleneck, and he suggested the art of road and leadership. Thank you for that, uh, Ron Williams. We we covered that, and uh, Sivan Davis wants you to Big Kenny. He wants you to call him. Okay. Steven. Steven, call my office. No, we'll get you on calendar. I, I, I'm jammed. I mean, like start to finish, but um, reach out. I'll have I'll have Charles call you in the morning. We'll get you on the calendar. We will definitely talk next week, I promise. Okay, good. And finally, Paul has a really good question. How do we reach prospects? Very simple. We're talking about the basic business here. Prior to 2019, the businesses were operating on word of mouth. You know, who did Dan Early know and so forth. 2019, we did a concerted effort to get manufacturers reps 
These are multi-line representatives. And they basically, we uh, I think we lined up like 12. And out of those, about four became really strong for us. And they get us a tremendous amount of business because they know what we're good for. So they go, oh, so so-and-so needs a really durable pump station. Boom, modular water. And that has been, we have way too much business. We have a huge backlog of business. Now, what Dan does is he does these cool webinars uh, that are um, a continued education, continuing education. He does the webinar and this counts for the engineers that go to it towards their continuing education credits. And so he is literally teaching people about decentralized water treatment. And of course, it spreads the word about modular water. So that's happening. And we're we are going to widen that. AJ is working on uh, a new website that is going to be far better than the current modular water and progressive water and water on demand websites. It's going to be killer. Yeah. It's going to be a next level experience and it's going to include access to all of that. So, so, so Paul, it's, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot. There's a lot of attention that I'm trying to bring to those efforts at the right time, right? As we begin to scale this, as we begin to ramp more and more and more, uh, I was talking with uh, with Colin over at Modular Water, the operations manager over there. They're doing some really awesome stuff on their manufacturing to be able to scale. It's it's very exciting. It's very 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 exciting. So nothing but onwards and upwards for for all of these folks. And again. It's, it's going to be about us being there first and having the capability. And I think we're positioning ourselves very nicely to be able to meet that demand, right? It's not smoke and mirrors. It's there, There's only so much we can say, you know, between secret sauce and NDA, but that's, it's, it's really exciting times. We play a video very often, guys, where you hear these, you hear Patrick Spencer and these other engineers, those engineers have choices on who they would recommend. 60% of the contracts right now are basis of design, meaning a customer simply says, this is what I want. Now, this is again, working with the market that has the money. So if you go to these cons these consulting engineers who can't really earn unless a deal gets consummated, right? It's like a, a mortgage lender not being able to close a loan or a real estate agent not being able to sell the property, doesn't get paid until it does. If you turn around to them and say, by the way, tell the folks that are in your book that don't have the money, the 500 credit score people, right? If you're a mortgage guy, that you don't have to worry about the money. Um, they're going to do end-to-end -end finance and end-to-end -end service. You tell them what your needs are and they'll provide it. You'll pay by the gallon. That, I, I, I would surmise we can take it to much, 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 much higher than 60% basis of design. Yep. I don't right. want to give a number, but it would rhyme with 99. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> provided the financing and we get to call the shots. Final uh, comment from Keith Rudin. Awesome discussion, guys. Thank you very much. It's been fun, wild, different. We've gone over an hour, but I think it's been exciting. And um, we will try to be more pithy in the future. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you all. It's been a great pleasure. And um, see you next week. We'll, 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 there's so much great stuff to cover as we get towards the end of the year. And um, we'll be reporting on the quarterly results next week. And um, I think you'll, ha you'll be happy with how things went. So thank you all. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate everyone and see you. Have a ha happy weekend and try to stay cool and safe in the holidays. Don't go too crazy with that, uh, you know, plum wine. <laughs> okay. And do the survey. Eggnog. Eggnog, exactly. And do the survey. Do your survey. survey for AJ because you Please. put a lot of work into it. Please. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody.